Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to The Range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we are talking to a man who has personally helped my golf game immensely, as he has for thousands of other players over the years. He makes the game more enjoyable by making sure that your gear helps you play better. My guest is Kit Mongo, Master Club Builder for Club Champion Golf, and he joins us here on The Range. Kit, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Ralph. Thanks for having me. Let's start from the very beginning. When did golf enter into your life? Uh, golf first entered my life in 1984. Um, that's when I uh, married um, uh, a former LPGA player, uh, NCAA um, champion, and introduced me to the game. So n- not until then, you had not been a golfer until that point. Other than going to a driving range, a local driving range in Ojai to... Uh, have some fun when we weren't doing our normal motorcycling and riding horses and things like that, but not uh, not with any interest at all, actually. No. That said, you had done a lot of work in tech, both in audio and video applications, and ultimately you were able to combine those things, golf and technology. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I was working in, uh, I worked in the music industry for, for a while with uh, a music computer. And it was one of the very first uh, music computers introduced in the in the 80s uh, that synthesized sounds and uh, was used uh, for motion picture, as well as um, live recording um, and live performances with Kenny Loggins and Mick Fleetwood. But it was a, it was very technical and and uh, basically it was a pr- uh, programmed uh, music computer. So um, super technical. Um, and that got me interested in the technical side of it, as well as as well as the video side of it, and the, and the uh, not just audio, but the video side of it as well. So um, got into the photography, um, went to Brooks Institute, um, learned how to um, to compose and and light scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, just a that was an interesting period in my life before I actually um, started in the golf business. I guess I should ask, when you first really were introduced to golf, how quickly did it bite you and just say, yes, love me, I, I am the thing? The game the game of golf for me, because it was so difficult, um, and having, having I thought it was going to be easy, mm-hmm. but then as my wife showed me, um, uh, it was pretty easy to spank me around the golf course. <laughs> so I I became more enthused with actually the process of the building of the golf clubs and the fitting of the golf clubs and, and focused on that more so than my game, um, really. So my game just followed because, you know, I wanted to play. I wanted to try the equipment that I was designing and building. Um, but um, primarily it was uh, uh, it was about the equipment and the fitting. You talk about uh, really diving into the technical side because that had been your experience. You started looking 
at golf swings with video, I mean, decades ago, really before it was very popular. Yeah, before and after we called it. So it was a very revealing um, piece of information and, and for, for the average person to actually see what their golf swing looked like was it, it was very difficult for some people to, to do, you know, because the id and the ego do not play on the same golf course. Um, and that's, that was the most interesting part, but being able to show after the lessons, um, what the before swing looked like to what the after swing looked like, then, um, could start making some changes and, and, and improvements for these, for the players in seeing people swing and you again applying knowledge that you have you you have an understanding of metallurgy that allowed you to really not only just piece together components but actually build golf clubs from scratch that's correct yeah uh, when i first started when i first started with the process i worked with a gentleman named phil skravonsky and he was arnold palmer's mold maker now a mold maker what that what the mold maker does is he will take a golf club design, whether it was uh, whether it was a designed by someone else or designed by Phil himself, and make the actual mold for the golf club so that the materials, the metal, can be poured into the mold and um, forming the golf club. So that started that started early in my career, learning how that process worked and watching. Uh, the mind of Arnold Palmer and how he approached the design of of the irons um, that he was using. These were cast irons at that time because um, primarily that was the inexpensive way to produce mass produce. So uh, in the Palmer line, there was the casting. There were also forgings too. Um, we didn't have anything to do with the forgings. That was done somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But we um, we worked in the casting, which was very early on in the casting process. In the 80s, uh, Karsten was actually questioning, he would call and question Phil about some of the issues that he was having with his castings, um, getting air pockets and things like that. So Phil would, Phil basically, um, he would give him a little information, but he wouldn't give him everything. <laughs> and because at that time, Phil was casting, he was doing the castings for links, confidence, Pro, um, he had his own line called Profile. Um, these confidence irons were very popular. Um, he's also doing the uh, the Palmer line, the AP line. Um, did some work with Gary Player, so um, he kept his he kept it kind of close to the vest. And his castings were the best in the world, so everybody would come to him. Now Karsten had some difficulties producing his clubs without porosity, which means when the club came out of the mold it had little holes in it and it didn't look well didn't re look really well really good so it looked horrible actually so uh what what carson ended up doing is placing these club heads in a dryer or a tumbler and having them beat each other up in this tumbler and that's what gave him the gave him the finish that you see and, and you and you still see on the on the pings it's amazing that the things that people don't even think about when you talk about the metal and the casting process that have even continued to this day correct yeah that's that's absolutely correct this led you to your own work in developing golf club designs actually going from a concept to the marketplace that, yes that's correct as well so um during my during my uh, building process i actually my my golf shop was 
primarily a machine shop mm-hmm. uh, with milling machines and panographs and, and um, uh, mold making machines, uh, things like that. So uh, I would get a lot of people that would come to me and ask me to design them a golf club just for them. Whether it was uh, Mel Gibson came to me and wanted uh, a putter that he could use on both sides so he could putt right-handed and left-handed, mm-hmm. left-handed for the short putts, right-handed for the long putts. <laughs> So that was a you know a very interesting concept, but it wasn't legal for USGA standards because there was a swivel. He actually swiveled the head when he went to make the putt to do the putt. <laughs> so um, that type of project was a one-off project, and those were fun. Um, I had a lot of um, training aids, golf training aids, things like that that I helped design and and do the research for for patenting, and that's really where I started getting a lot of interest from outside individuals to have me look at one of their product ideas and say, is this product, one, has it ever been around? Has there been anything like this on the market? Two, are there patents related to what I'm doing? Would I be infringing on something if I were to develop this product? So, so then I went out and, and became somewhat, you know, a self-taught patent agent. And, and started researching the golf industry and, and everything about golf clubs. And I've got, you know, behind me is this library of golf books that dates back into the 1800s. So of golf club designs and things like that. So um, using, you know, using that as my, as my jumping grounds, I'm started developing my own irons, my own lines, things like that. Then one, uh, one instance came where a gentleman did come to me and asked me to design a golf club for him, a short game golf club, um, because he was a good chipper and his, uh, or as he was a good putter and his chipping was horrible. Mm-hmm. So he thought that we could come up with a golf club that you could utilize the same technology as his putter and put that into the chipper. And I, and I said, yeah, that's possibility, but uh, this is not something that, that we can do lightly. And he says, I don't want you to do this lightly. He says, I would like this to be one, a patentable project. I want this, this golf club to be patentable and I want it to be marketable. So that those your, that's your, your charge right there. So that's what I did. So I basically designed a golf club from scratch, um, primarily using one, the technology that I thought was gonna create what it is that he wanted um, to to relieve his his difficulties around the green, um, but also using the patents that have been placed over hundreds of years and working my way into those and finding out is there a hole somewhere in there? Somebody missed something, and I I found something um, that somebody admits in the design of a of a, a wedge. And I uh, was able to get a patent on it, a design patent, which was very difficult to do. And that took almost seven years to get the patent. The one putt wedge, the one putt one, wedge. Yes, the one putt wedge. And, and again, I, I've, I've actually seen is there was marketing that this was a product that was available for the public. Yeah, it was a viable product for, for uh, many, many, many years. <laughs> or, um, once, once developed, um, it was on the market internationally and, and in domestically for um, seven years. Let's talk about club fitting and building because you did that for professional players back in the 90s. 
How different was that environment to what we see and experience today? Totally different. Um, now we have the technologies um, used that I'm using today with TrackMan, um, with the full swing and, and with Sam Putt Lab with the putting stroke. Um, originally, uh, we didn't have the, the ability to track the ball. Mm -hmm. we, could, we could find through accelerometers, we could get club speeds um, with these little devices we could attach to the club head, but that's all we could get. So um, everything that we were doing in terms of fitting uh, would take place outdoors on a range so that, so that I could see and, and my associates could see ball flights. Um, the ball flights were, uh, it developed, it really was, it created a, 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 it created a little niche because not everybody could see one, uh, a golf club moving at 120 miles an hour and follow the ball flight, uh, and generally predict what types of spin rates that the ball was having. Uh, and what was affecting the curvature of the ball? Was it, was it the player or was it uh, the club? Mm -hmm. right. So um, very few of us were able to do that. And that's on, the, on, the, on a tour level. So as, as, as I was able to develop my amateur fittings, um, doing the same thing, I found that with the amateurs, the, the golf swing is so, is, 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 it's a bit unpredictable. <laughs> but it is the same for every player and you know, golf, uh, every golfer has their own golf swing. So um, with that in mind, um, making whatever kind of adjustments I could make on their golf equipment at that time uh, meant building multiple golf clubs. So I would have 10 drivers mm -hmm. built already when it, when it was time to fit a driver um, using quick set epoxies. And if those 10 didn't work, I'd quick set another 10. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that was the same thing that was happening out on the tour too. I mean, we literally had to have 50 driver heads uh, of different lofts, different face angles, different weights um, when we were fitting the players. So um, today, which is so much different, we have, we now have um, uh, these adapters that we can do very quickly put a shaft on a head we've got indoors uh, where we've got these launch the launch monitors where we can track the golf ball and see what the golf swing's doing so it's the efficiency of the fit is so much better the quality of the fit is the same i think we can still fit to the best equipment it just can happen quicker it was different though in terms of now you go to a PGA Tour event and there's tour trucks all during the week for all the different manufacturers. Back then, there wasn't that sort of commitment, so you didn't have the access necessarily to shafts and components to be able to build these things. Well, I did actually because I was I was an independent. I had an independent tour van um, for 15 years, 17 years on the tour. So that was another thing that Arnold Palmer did for me. Is nobody was uh, nobody was coming to the events and uh, building their golf clubs. So he passed the hat around and, and um, found a nice little situation where I could go mobile with my shop and take it to the tour event. So um, I was one of the very first on the West Coast um, actually doing the fitting on the, on, the, um, on the tours. Well, once I 
once I showed uh, that I could do what I said I can do mm-hmm. um, and, and help the players and attend to their needs, then the manufacturers started coming to me and they started offering me product and uh, not always with a rep attached, didn't always have a representative attached, but they would give me the product, sponsor me to, um, to show the product to the pros. So my, my, my stock, my shaft stocks, uh, my head stocks, uh, um, virtually I had everyone at one time and, and because I was the only van there. Now right. we've got 17 vans. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, I stayed independent the entire time. And that's the way Arnold designed that because he wanted, he didn't want me to go with one manufacturer. I had the AP line. I had the umbrella on my van, uh, is his logo. But he wanted me to be able to service everyone um, that didn't have a contract with someone, with, a, with a, a manufacturer. He wanted me to be able to offer new startup shaft companies and, and club companies the ability to get uh, their product out and visible on the tour. When you talk about that initially, it would seem like, okay, he was setting up something that would be advantageous to him. But what you're describing is he really wanted it better for all the players. Yeah, that's the way Arnold was. He Everything he did, other than other than uh, when it came time to win a golf tournament, you know, he was, he was very, very, um, he, he was easy to communicate with. He was very personable, and he also was very supportive of all those around him. You mentioned launch monitors track man uh i have to imagine that's got to be the biggest achievement in technology that you've experienced in your career of club fitting yeah it is absolutely it is absolutely that um from the from the standpoint of of the technology and and the adaptability of it to specifically to golf Mm -hmm. um although they do use it in other sports it is it is simply a golf machine. When you talk about club fitting as you had done in the past, it was a lot of artistry. I mean, you, obviously there's a lot of technical mechanical preparation, but ultimately it's artistry to be able to combine the right elements with the right golf swings so that it works. And yet here comes this technology that takes away maybe some of your own personal skills, although allowing you to do maybe better work. How do you how does your ego accept that and say, okay, I've got to dial a little bit, dial me down, dial up TrackMan and use its expertise? Yeah, well, that's a good question. So um, at, in the, at the original point of fitting, when I did not have TrackMan, um, I would design and build a golf club right on site. I would literally mm-hmm. have a, a grinder. There'd be, there'd be a machine. I could make changes to the sole designs. Um, obviously I could change loft and lies. Um, I could do, um, toe grinds. I could make the golf club perform for the individual player, but I did that with my own, uh, with my own equipment, um, in terms of, um, uh, the golf club equipment. So that's the interesting point of, of how I ultimately now became involved with club champion. Because with Club Champion having this, the technology that they have, okay, frees me up from the standpoint of having to now handcraft a golf club. 
so that I have access mm -hmm. to all the manufacturers and engineers that are handcrafting golf clubs. So in a way, it, it frees me up to be able to do a better fit with now a much broader array of product and serving a much broader array of clients. Okay. I mean, you can now really serve anybody because you have all the options there. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. So it's, you know, it, I was, I was uh, uh, OEM. I was the original equipment manufacturer averse in, in my earlier days mm -hmm. um, because I was my own designer and um, I had a lot of different products that competed with their products. Um, I wasn't always on board with um, the way that they were marketing their products. So I just simply went to my own products. But now uh, as the industry has, has gotten more, um, uh, has gotten to be more visible and, and uh, transparent in terms of the engineering and, and, the, and the marketing, uh, we can now separate the two. And um, when, when the marketing department comes out and says it's going to do something, I have the ability now to put it on these launch monitors and decide for myself what it really does and how it's going to help the person that I'm working with. Well, we had Nick Sherburn on months ago uh, talking about Club Champion, but he also mentioned that there's Club Champion University, that here you are, you had a, all these years of experience, but you still had to go to school to be a club champion master fitter. Yeah, absolutely. So there's four to five weeks of, of intense training um, on the use of the, of the, of the technology and, and product knowledge and making sure that whichever club champion you go to, whether it's in Atlanta or in LA or in Agoura Hills where I am, you're going to get the, the same process in the fitting, you're going to get the identical build that's going to take place in the Chicago location that is that uh, for your golf clubs, um, which keeps everything super consistent. Um, so there's no confusion as to as to why uh, a person is playing the golf club that the, we recommend that they play. Um, it would it would transfer from one store to the next, one fitter to the next. Now, 2020 presented so many challenges to so many people, but it also saw massive growth in the game of golf. How did that translate for you and your shop? Yeah, super busy, obviously super busy. Um, what I noticed mostly um, in the number of golfers, the number of golfers that were coming in to be fit, um, it varied uh quite differently from what was happening in 2019 or 2018. Mm -hmm. um, it was a lot of returning golfers to the, to the game uh, after 20 or 25 years. Um, and not, oh, wow. not because they retired, it's because now they have more time at, at, uh, at their leisure because they're working away from the home uh, or at, at their home. And, and the only thing that we could do and still really can do is golf and to be outdoors and, and enjoy the, uh, uh, get some exercise and enjoy the environment. A lot of people are going to always talk about new clubs and saying, hey, how different are they? When you had those players returning that hadn't played in years and you do your, well, let's take a look at your current clubs. It had to be dramatic. The differences in what they had in, in old technology versus current. It, it, it's unbelievable. 
Um, if, if, you, if you ever get the chance or have somewhere in your garage a set of golf clubs that were produced in the early 80s um, and compare them to what we're doing now, um, it, is, it is absolutely night and day. So uh, the, the, a lot of times I have to do a double check and, and just look at this and go, oh my, how can we get 25 yards carry on an iron? Mm -hmm. right um from from the technology um has just it's all about distance that's it's all about distance always has been about distance so um when when we're talking about three four probably 25 generations of golf club differentials between what was happening in the early 80s to where we are now um they, you know, you, you can see where the, the scientists have, you know, came up with the materials that are producing, you know, much, much more efficient metals. The, um, the engineers are designing golf clubs that are more forgiving um, all the way across the board. The shaft manufacturers are designing shafts that can help um, in uh, many different ways, um, depending on what, what I need for, um, uh, to fit the golfer to, to the correct um, uh, launch angles, et cetera. Now's the time of year. I assume I, for a lot of people, it's fun times for others. It's, Oh my gosh, this is a lot of work. That's because it's when the new clubs come out and you have people that are interested on them. Obviously you're interested because now you have a new product to sell that you need to understand how it performs for a new year. So it's, it's like homework time for you as all the new drivers come out, all the new irons come out and you really understand what they do so that you can properly fit players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got, um, this week I've, I've had meetings with three different reps that have came to my, to my store and, um, have introduced product. Um, either, uh, we don't have all the product yet, kind of a late release this year. Um, we have some mm -hmm. of the product, so some of the product I, I, I have on the shelf um, pre-launch from some manufacturers, some I haven't even received yet. So um, the reps will come into the, into the shop. They'll show me items and, and product uh, club heads that, that, uh, that I don't have, explain what it is. Um, they're very knowledgeable in terms of um, bringing the, the information that they have from their engineers, um, not their marketing department back uh, to me and um, then also we have through club champion um, I think I've got at least eight uh, zoom meetings coming up um, more so and these are with engineers of the companies that will okay. zoom us and we'll get the full array of really what they're doing for their new launches um, how it's going to affect um, how it's going to affect what's currently being played because uh, some of these products, some of these products were, uh, were just released last year in the early part of last year are being replaced. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. in some of the models in the lines, some of the lines are going to stay the same and the models in the lines will stay the same. Some they're replacing, um, with other models primarily because of the, uh, the tour players and the tour players have input into, into these golf clubs. So, um, they will, they will ask the engineers to make a change. And if the change is significant, significant enough, then that will be put into production. 
When you're fitting players, what's the most common club that people come in to get fit? The driver. The driver is it's the most uh, sought after weapon in the bag um, <laughs> because it's such a difficult golf club to hit, and and it, it it's got to be you've got to take it golf golf has to be the the you, you have to think about it in terms of it's the driver notch and off swing from a player standpoint otherwise you drive yourself nuts trying to figure out how to hit this you know un just unconventional piece of of equipment uh to hit us the ball straight you know hundreds of yards um so that's the that's that's the that's just what we're always trying to do we're always trying to find that magic driver i can imagine that you've probably got those clients that are making their appointments every january like they they want to come in once a year and get that new driver but when you're doing driver fittings when you're getting new drivers i mean generally how old are these clubs that people are looking to replace or is it a once a year thing once every two years maybe once every five yeah i i would say the, uh, the majority of driver fits that i will have will be uh second generation so it's about every every three to four years maybe three okay three to four years um, yeah, I, 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 obviously we get those, you know, those, but they're, you know, the technology from 10 years ago to five years ago, there was such a drastic difference. So mm -hmm. the drivers that were made 10 years ago don't last. The faces crack, the, they lost the ability to transfer energy back to the golf ball, shafts snapped. So people have probably replace their drivers from 10 to five years ago just through the necessity but now as a from five years back now it's about performance so yeah so the uh i would say the average is about three years on that the the client that wants to check out the latest model um in the line mm -hmm. uh is very excited about having the new model. Some do do so just to have the new model first. Right. And we offer, you know, we offer basically we we can we're fitting before the products launch so that we have pre-sale on those. So mm -hmm. you could be the first guy at your golf course to to have the <laughs> latest and the greatest. And that plays a lot into their in, into the egos and and just how people perceive their their uh how they want their perceive their golf bag you know to be the latest the latest product um when these when the engineers are designing they're not designing to go backwards they're designing to go forward so there's always going to be some gains right in it and uh whether they're uh significant or uh, a matter of four yards i mean four yards is a lot on a driver and that's, you know, when you're already maxing something out to get another four yards, that's, um, you know, that is, that's huge to some folks. Um, others just, um, just wait and, and, and figure I'm, I'm going to wait for a second or a third generation before I, uh, before I start looking into new, new drivers. But 
it's it's the most difficult golf club to fit because the golf swing is changed um, from the iron um, to the driver. The driver is the only golf club we put on a tee. We put the ball on a tee and we hit up on it. Mm-hmm. So everything else we hit down on. The fairway woods we hit down on. The irons we hit down on. So a lot of players don't understand that. So they hit the driver like they were hitting a, an iron. And that creates a lot of, uh, um, that creates a, a lot of uh, inefficiencies. Um, but then that's what the shaft manufacturers and, cl- and club designers know that a large majority of players are not actually hitting the driver correctly. Mm-hmm. And we need to design a golf club that will help them get maximum, the maximum they can out of uh, an inefficient golf swing. Sometimes, and I, this happened with me, with you, it's not that old a driver that you're looking to replace. And as such, you find, you know what, if you upgrade the shaft, this actually is the best head for you that it's still the best, even though it may not be the latest model because the changes are incremental, but every head is individual. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, no, that's, that, that happens. That happens a lot, you know, for me at least, because I'm not, I just want, I want to get for a value and performance, right? Uh, you know, I, I look at this from my standpoint, I don't want to have to, to buy something I don't need. Mm-hmm. So if, if what I'm currently using um, just needs an upgrade in a shaft based because my swing speeds changed because the technology in shafts has, has made a drastic difference or because the incorrect shaft was being played in the first place. Um, I'm all for that. Um, getting the, getting something that actually is actually kind of fun to see a, a three-year-old driver beat everything that just came out. Right. No, and that, that's ha- that happened with me very recently coming into your shop is is we were able to do exactly that we compared it to newer things and it's like no but still beating them yeah we did the, we tested you we tested you what twice right with that same mm-hmm. process and um and it's still the unbeatable driver <laughs> yeah I, I i got the freak driver who knows uh, <laughs> Now, we like to wrap up our talks here in the range by jumping into the Wayback Machine of golf equipment. So, excluding what you've invented, because I think you might be a bit biased on that, is there a club or component that when it comes to mind, you get a real nostalgic feeling? Whether, you know, maybe it's a club head or maybe you're like, you know, I remember when this shaft came out and it changed things, whatever. Is there something that jumps out to you that it's like, that's a special club? Yeah, the um, it, it was the ping putter. It was it was the the original ping putter. The answer, um, where where we were where we went from a blade style putter to to a perimeter weighted putter that changed actually changed the game of golf on the putting greens. Um, that was that was the from an equipment standpoint. Uh, other than going from persimmon to metal, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Although I do still have a, a very intimate relationship with an old persimmon three wood that I've had for years, just because of the, of the look of the golf club, um, as well as the, as the performance, but the nostalgia in, in a, in a persimmon wood, uh, with the, with the, uh, a softer ball, a blotter ball, or some type of a low compression ball, um, is very interesting from a shaft standpoint, uh, the Fujikura speeder shaft, um, uh, was really the, 
was really the biggest innovation in golf shafts. Um, and that, that spurred an industry, um, uh, for, um, for equality golf shafts and understanding how the technology and engineering in a golf shaft can actually uh, make a golf ball go further and straighter um, from a shaft standpoint. So, you know, the, um, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting time to watch equipment and how a lot of things will go back if I look at a piece of equipment today that's been introduced, mm -hmm. I can oftentimes think back and go, you know what? I've seen this technology before. <laughs> right. And it just wasn't applied in the same aspect. Um, but here it comes again. <laughs> the good things always return. The good ones always return. They do. Well, Kit, we always have great talks when I visit you in the shop. You did my custom fitting, and my clubs are fantastic. I love them, and you have a marvelous history in the game. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Range. Thank you, Ralph. Thanks for having me. That was club champion master fitter Kit Mongo joining us here on The Range. He has been fitting players from everyday amateurs to the pros for decades. He knows the golf swing and how to make it work best for us all. He's one of the artists that help us play better. And that's a great thing. You can learn more about the fitting process they do at clubchampiongolf.com. And speaking of fitting, I want to talk to you about just that. Why is getting fit a thing? Why do the pros all recommend that you be custom fit? Well, the simple answer, not surprisingly, is performance. We all have individual golf swings. Some may be visually unusual, like Matthew Wolf or Jim Furyk. Mine is quite unusual. Original equipment manufacturers, or OEMs, are not going to be able to match their gear to each of our swings in mass production. In recent years, they have, though, begun to offer different shaft options, often at little to no additional cost, all in the effort to better match their performance to your swing. But there are a lot of options out there, and that is where working with a professional like Kit can make all the difference. They see what you're doing with your current clubs, and then they work to fix it either with an alteration or with new product. He said it best, they are not making clubs worse. Companies are making clubs better. Albeit incrementally, there is improvement year to year. However, improvement for some is not improvement for all. And that's where the expert comes in, matching you to the right club head, the right shaft, even the right grip. Instruction and improvement are imperative to making you a better golfer. But if you want a better feel, more consistency, maybe just a couple more yards. If you want to make golf more enjoyable, then new equipment properly fit for you is a great direction to go. It worked for me. Go to thegolfspotlight.com and you can see the fitting processes and the results that I've experienced in just the last 15 months. Or just drop me a line on Instagram. I'll be happy to break it all down. Now, if you want to know more about golf equipment, subscribe to us on YouTube at The Golf Spotlight. It is new club season and we are just getting started in breaking down all of the new releases for 2021. Follow us on Instagram at The Golf Spotlight. We're also on Twitter at Golf Spotlight. We welcome your comments there as well. They've listened this far, so subscribe to The Range on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or iHeart. We have new shows dropping every Wednesday. 
That'll do it for this episode of The Range, so let's hit the course, but for your sake, go out with clubs made with your game in mind. And have fun. And we'll talk to you next time, right here on The Range. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.